This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. Midletter studies, this is number five. Now we've been in a, we've been in chapter five so far. I don't know if we'll finish chapter five today. We'll try and then we'll move on to chapter six. But from about verse 21 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 48, there's been a series of statements that which you, I guess you could put them under the heading of, you have heard, but I say. You have heard, but I say. And, uh, and to have those all the way to the end of the chapter, and what they're about, what they're about is Jesus is establishing, he's setting up a higher morality in these statements. So what are you talking about? Well, let's go back and look at the ones we've looked at already, where he says in verse 21, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And then in the next paragraph on the same sub, well, not on the same subject, but on the next paragraph, he says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And then over in verse 33, again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself. And we talked about this last week. Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, but let your yea be yea and nay, nay, and so on. And then after that in verse 38, he begins this one. He says, ye have heard that it hath been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then there's one or two, there's one more after that uh, of these, ye have heard, but I say unto you, there's one more of those after this on an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. We'll get back to that in a moment. What I'm doing is bringing up the fact that he's, he's establishing a higher morality here in this series of statements of, you've heard it said before, but I say unto you this. He's sort of, he's sort of, constricting the circle or the parameters of real righteousness or acceptable righteous behavior because he's dealing with what they have traditionally accepted as righteous behavior and some of this is right out of the law of Moses not necessarily all but a lot of its tradition but what he's doing is he's clarifying and he's bringing the circle in tighter okay you've heard all your life that this was acceptable behavior or that this was a good thing to do or that God was okay with this. But I say unto you, really, there's a higher way of acting than this. There's a better way of behaving than this. And we've just used those examples where he talks about um, thou shalt not kill. But Jesus brings it in even tighter and says that if you're angry with your brother without cause, you're in danger of the judgment. And then he talks about adultery. Now in the, in the Old Testament, they wrote it into the law. Moses permitted it in the law of Moses. So you could just divorce, just give your wife a bill of divorcement and just call it done. But Jesus explained that the only reason that that was ever permitted under the law was because of the hardness of the Jews' hearts. But 
God solved that problem when Jesus died on the cross and created a sacrifice that changes the human heart. Doesn't just wash away the sin, changes the nature of the human heart, and so no longer so hard, so no longer, uh, he, again, he brings in that standard of morality to a higher level. Moving on, he mentions about oaths. It was the custom of the Jews to forswear themselves to sort of inject their credibility with steroids, if you will. If you swore by the temple or if you swore by the altar or the gift that was on the altar, that somehow made your words more credible. Not really, but it was supposed to have that effect. And so you, that creates this impression that the more bombastic your oath, then the more serious you're supposed to be. And really, that's schoolyard communication, isn't it? Didn't we talk like that when we were six? during recess on the playground, you know, and, and, and you could see how that's similar to, you know, oh, I dare you, I double dare you, double dog dare you, triple dog dare you. But it's the same stuff. It really is the same kind of spirit that's behind that. It's immature, it's underdeveloped, it's childish, and Jesus made it clear, we don't even have the, we don't even have the authority to swear by the, all these things. We can't swear by heaven, it's God's throne. We don't swear by the earth, it's his footstool. We certainly don't swear by the temple. It's been destroyed, and it wasn't ours anyway. We don't swear by Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king. So he's saying, just keep your communication simple. If you remember this from last week, keep your communication plain and simple. And what will happen is, in time, you will develop a reputation for being forthright, plain-spoken. I don't mean you know brutally honest and insulting but you'll develop a reputation for being uh, forthright and plain spoken and people can talk to you and know that you don't have to rely on outrageous claims to make yourself believable if you're just honest all the time you never have that problem honesty is so much simpler plain spokenness is just so much simpler I'm not saying uh, throw off tact we need to use tact as well but honesty and tactfulness are not mutually exclusive. Learn how to be both, right? And then you're honest and tactful, and then people don't mind communicating with you, and they don't mind asking you your opinions on things. So moving on, rather than have a lengthy review, we'll just jump right into verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. We talked about this last week also. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. Why does he bring this up? Well, this kind of lends itself to the whole theme here. And the purpose of all of these you have heard, but I say unto you statements, he's establishing again a higher morality than the morality that comes to us by nature. What, there's a morality that comes to us by nature? Yes, actually there does. There is a natural reality that comes with the human race, a natural morality that comes with the human race. It's an animal morality. It is, it is an animal morality. It's based on self-preservation. It's based on this very statement, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is animal morality right to the core. Because what happens when you do something to an animal? It'll leave you alone as long as you're not a threat to it a lot of times or it's not hungry. But when you become a threat to it, then it's going to be payback. You ever cornered one? You ever cornered an animal? And then you saw what it was really made out of. I did that once to a possum. It's 
nasty, disgusting animals who look like overgrown albino rats. They just, they're just gross looking things. And I cornered one uh, once in my apartment complex down in Tampa. I cornered it on a stairwell landing and so it couldn't go to the right or to the left without having to get closer to me. So that nasty looking thing turned around at me and started hissing. I'm a city guy, I have never encountered that. So what'd you do? I backed off in an instant is what I did. And I turned around and I went away. I went away fast. Because that thing bites you. I don't know what it's got. You know, they can be rabid. They're mammals. and don't want to risk that. Well, that's the kind of morality that comes to human beings by nature. I'm cool as long as you don't hurt me. I'm cool as long as you don't cross me. But the moment that you cross me, it's an eye and an eye for an eye, for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's paybacks. It's settling scores. Well, that is the complete, the complete opposite of what Jesus is toward us. Because an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Gandhi even said it. Man was, was never saved. He was never born again. He was a pacifist, but he made a very true statement about this kind of philosophy, this kind of animal morality. When he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth makes the whole world blind. Or he said an eye, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Very, very true. If it's always about settling scores and, and, and payback and clearing accounts and that sort of thing, well, then it's an... It's a never-ending, it's a never-ending cycle of retribution for people who do us wrong. He insulted me. I'm never going to get out. I won't forgive him until he apologizes to me, or I'm going to insult him right back. Where's forgiveness? Man, we insulted Christ, didn't we? We did far worse than insult Christ, speaking collectively as the human race. We're responsible for his crucifixion. He came to the earth, King of King and Lord of Lords. Did we honor him as king? No. We jammed a crown of thorn on, thorns on his head. We beat the flesh off of his back. We smote him. We struck him. We spit on him. We did. Uh, we we shoveled indignity upon him. We didn't really honor him as God or as King. And again, I know we weren't there, but the whole human race. We bear that we bear that sin upon us until we are forgiven of that sin, until we come to Christ for forgiveness. So he says here, resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain or two. Give to him that asketh thee. And from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. There's a higher morality in living for God and in being a child of God than the natural animal morality that comes to us by nature. That morality is not good enough. It was never good enough. Now, it worked in the law of Moses as a civil code because it... It made things painful, okay? It made it painful to break the law, and it made it expensive to break the law. So if you got in a fight with somebody because you were that type of a person, and in the midst of your fight you knocked out a tooth, then the law of Moses made it clear that you get to have a tooth removed as well. It was intended to be a deterrent, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, limb for limb. If you cost somebody something from their body, then you get to lose yours as well. And it's a, it's a good standard, okay, as, as far as a civil code is concerned. 
but it's not the best standard. It's not the best standard. It's about retribution and paybacks. And Jesus was never about retribution and paybacks. Jesus was about reconciling us to God because we could not reconcile ourselves to Him. He was about paying the price that we could not pay so that it didn't have to be paybacks anymore. And so if God did not require paybacks from us, okay, because of our sins against Him, what He's doing is He's passing that same standard down to us for us to demonstrate to other people. We couldn't pay for our sins. And so let's be graceful and forgiving towards others. So somebody comes along and pops you across the face because you're a Christian. Well then, be the bigger person and turn your other cheek. Let him hit the other one. For one thing, that's going to confuse them because people expect animal morality from other people. People expect retribution from other people unless they can dominate dominated out of them okay so he tells us to be better than that and this ties into what he was saying in previous in the previous chapter or earlier in this chapter about except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the pharisees you will know why i see the kingdom of heaven you, will, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven your righteousness our righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and pharisees and scribes and pharisees were all about the law and the law said eye for an eye tooth for a tooth. They were also about lots of double standards too. Let's move on. Verse 43. This is new stuff. We haven't covered this. Ye have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Let's stop right there. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Now there's animal morality again. That's animal morality, natural morality. Well, my, uh, I'll love my neighbor. I'll love my friends. I'll love those that are close to me. I'll love my family. I'll love those who love me, but I'm going to hate my enemy. Why? Well, because he's my enemy. Duh. School ground morality, school, you know, playground morality, schoolyard morality. It's the same thing. It's immature. It's carnal. It's base. It is not the kind of morality that descends from above. It's the same kind of morality that bubbles up from the deep, if you will. It is sensual, it is fleshly, it is devilish. It is natural, it's not what God intended for us because we're supposed to be more than just natural creatures, aren't we? No, not so with the animals. They're not made in the image of God. They do not possess immortal souls or uh, immortal spirits rather, okay? They're going to live and then they're going to die. And then as Solomon says in the Old Testament, the, the spirit of the beast or the soul of the beast, I forget which phrasing it used, uh, goeth down into the earth, okay? We're supposed to be something better. Because yes, God made us as natural creatures in so much as we inhabit a natural body. We have bodies with members and brains and mouths and all of that. Needs and desires as well. Hopes and ambitions, fears, whatever the case may be. But he made us in his image. And while we tend to assign that mainly to our physical frame, he made us in the shape and the image of God. It applies just as much, if not more so, 
to our minds, okay, as, as to the physical form. He made us in his image in our minds as well. And so we're supposed to be better than the animals. We're supposed to be higher than the animals. We were made higher than the animals. We're not supposed to be like them and filled with retribution and hatred and all of these base emotions, these dark side emotions. So he says here, but I say unto you, and again, this is where he goes completely contrary to human nature, fallen human nature. He says, I say unto you, love your enemies. Well, how crazy, how crazy does that sound? What do you mean love my enemies? They're my enemies. You know, the natural mind can't wrap itself around that. That doesn't make any kind of sense at all. Love my enemies, but he's trying to kill me, or he's trying to defame me, or he's trying to do me harm, or he's trying to or he or she is trying to destroy my career, or bring me down, or whatever the case may be. Jesus says, love your enemies. And then he goes further. Bless them that curse you. Now, you know that's not human nature right there. Human nature is retributive. I don't know if that's uh, the right word for it, but it's all about retribution. It's all about getting back at people. And he says, don't do that. When people curse you, bless them instead. Bless them instead, whether to their face or in private or whatever. whatever. The, the point is, don't curse them back because then you just justify their hatred for you. And then you escalate things. Well, we got in a fight and my husband called me a bad name. Uh, I'm going to call him a bad name too. No, why throw more fuel on the fire? Why throw more fuel on the fire? Well, somebody insulted my clothes at work. So I'm going to go around and spread wicked rumors about them, you know, like a good passive aggressive. I'm going to go spread rumors about sexual promiscuity because they said something bad about my hair. That's a passive aggressive tact right there. You've got to watch passive aggressives. They're the ones that will knife you in the back. Let the air out of your tires. Or if they're really bad, they'll rob your house and then come along, come around the next day and say, hey man, I heard you got robbed. Passive aggressives. I like passive aggressives. I think they're funny. I'm a passive aggressive myself by nature. Get Jesus on the inside. He'll work on that. He'll work on that. Well, it's going to make me into an aggressive aggressive? Well, no, not really. I'll just kind of tone the aggression down with this higher morality that comes with being a Christian. Now, again, let me let me let me keep the order of this in the right order and let's not get it turned around. It isn't this stuff that makes a person a Christian. It's this stuff that shows that a person is a Christian. It's Jesus that makes us a Christian, not morality. Okay, the M word kind of triggers some believers, and as soon as you mention morality in, in, in something other than the negative, then they think you're preaching salvation by works, salvation by morals, and that's not the case, okay? He's just making it clear. Things that were custom, things that were perhaps acceptable in the Old Testament, we need to be better. We need to be better. We need to be better than that. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Well, that ties into something James told us, right? About, about blessing those who curse us and, and, and loving our enemies and things like that. What did he say about heaping coals of fire on their heads? Because that's exactly what this sort of thing does. Someone comes at you and curses you out, insults you, or treats you like trash. 
you turn around and then treat them good. I'm not talking about the codependent victim type of treating someone good. Maybe if I'm nice to them, they'll start liking me. It's not about that, right? That's a different psychology. That's just hoping that the alligator that's locked up in your house will eat you last, okay? I'm not talking about that. This is talking about showing people that you're a better person than they are, not from a pride perspective either. He said it right here, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. This is to show people that we are children of peace, we are children of God, and that we're not made of the same angry, hateful, um, vindictive stuff that so many other people are. And not everybody in the world is like that, I understand, but there are a lot of people that are. This is, that's natural morality, natural human fallen morality and ethics. We've got to be better than that. So he says, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And it doesn't mean pray for their destruction. We don't pray for their overthrow and, and, and their, their you know, God, please kill them. Just make their brakes fail in their car when they're turning that corner over by the what's it and they're going to go over the edge and careen down. Well, we don't really have that around here. It's all flat here in our little town. You have to go further west to really discover any more any more dimensions than that. But you know what I'm saying. We don't pray for harm for people. We don't pray for harm for people. But we pray for them which despitefully use us and persecute us. Because, and Reverend Ryder has said this before from the pulpit, you know, if you pray for your enemies, they might get saved. And then they won't be your enemies anymore. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? And that's an amazing thing to see, to see two people that were once at each other's throats or two people that were absolutely enemies of one another somehow becoming friends. Now, have you ever seen that happen in life? You may have, but you may not have. That's a rare thing. That's a rare thing, but I've seen it happen and I've heard of it happening. I've used an example before of uh, Corey Ten Boom, Dutch missionary to the United States in the mid 20th century, whose uh, family died I believe in Ravensbrück concentration camp during World War II. She was there also, but she survived. It was a complete miracle. Some would call it a fluke, but it was an absolute miracle. She was released from there on the conditions that she was. And then years later, she was giving a talk. She was giving a talk. They weren't Jews, but they had helped Jews. That's why they got arrested and thrown into the prison. But she was giving a talk, and then afterwards, uh, a German, an old German gentleman approached her and said I was one of the guards at that concentration camp. And he said, you know, I've accepted Jesus. I don't remember what his words were specifically or precisely, but he said, I've accepted Jesus. I'm a Christian now. I've been forgiven, but I had to come and find you and ask you to forgive me. And she remembered this man, who he was and what he did. And she remembered the sufferings that her sister went through before she died in prison. And she said there sprung up in her heart um, just a tremendous bitterness toward the man because, hey, you don't bounce back from that sort of thing overnight. You don't bounce back from that sort of thing fast. And it takes an extraordinary Holy Spirit miracle of grace to overcome something like that. But And then she realized in that moment there's no way she could forgive that man for the things that he had done, no matter what, if he was, even though he was a Christian now. But... Jesus in her could. Ooh, 
That's a deep distinction right there. That's a very powerful distinction. Jesus within her could, and therefore she could, in fact. And she said to him something like, Brother, I forgive you. And she shook his hand. And when you see that sort of thing happen between people that were previously at odds, even over stupid things, let alone real injuries afflicted upon them, when you see people forgive one another and be reconciled to one another, I'm telling you, there is nothing more beautiful on the face of the earth. And I don't know a better word to, to, to use to describe it than that. People that actually forgive one another or, think, or, or, or forgive someone else when, when they're approached for that forgiveness. It is an incredible thing to behold. It is, it is a healing that occurs in an instant on the inside. It just mollifies all hurts and even washes, begins to wash scars away. It is an incredible thing to behold. And someone's got to do it. You can't wait for the person that... Uh, that you can't wait for the person to come to you for forgiveness. Because a lot of times they won't. They're too proud. So you've got to be, as believers, we've got to be the bigger people and just say, you know what? I'll be the first one to do it. I forgive it. I forgive them. And then really forgive them. And when you do that, there's a weight that lifts off your heart. A lot of times you weren't even cognizant was there. Well, well, where does that apply to our lives? That can apply to lots of different things. And one of the first things that it applies to, one of the first things that it applies to is when we forgive bad parents. The abusive drunk father or the abusive drunk mother. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you might have had them, okay? Yeah, the, 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 uh, the cousin or the sibling that, that abused us somehow, you know, or the uncle or whatever, when we forgive family members that did us wrong. And I mean really wrong. And that's very, very common. A lot of it doesn't get reported, but man, it is common. It is common as mud. More so in some cultures than in others. But it, that's one of the first places that God will move us towards in our lives once we come we come into the saving faith of Jesus Christ it's one of the first things that he'll move us towards is a forgiving of other people because didn't he forgive us well yeah but I didn't do to God what these people did to me hey 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 I get it I get it and I don't try to minimize that sort of thing there's things that people do to one another that permanently I mean permanently scar their psyches and they'll, even after forgiveness, they may bear those scars throughout the rest of their life. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But the Holy Spirit heals to a large extent and sometimes is even able to completely heal that sort of thing. But it begins, one of the very first things is, forgi is forgiving bad family members. And then forgiving bad spouses and ex-spouses. Well, you don't know what they did to me. No. I don't, but God does. God does. You don't know what they're still doing to me. I understand. I understand. But you have to understand something that forgiveness is and something forgiveness is not, okay? Forgiveness is not a license for someone to continue bad behavior towards you. And forgiveness is also, now this, this might... You might disagree with this, but we're going to go there anyway, okay? I'll risk it. 
Forgiveness is not forgetting. I'm not talking about holding a grudge. That's, that's rooted in evil. That's rooted in an evil conscience and an evil heart. That's, that is a grudge betrays that there has been no forgiveness because obviously there's still a grudge. But forgiveness doesn't mean that you purge it from your memory. And that ties into the other thing I just mentioned that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a pass and a license for someone to keep abusing you. It's not that at all. What forgiveness is, is forgiveness is the willingness to blot their crime off of your ledger. You follow? You don't track it anymore in your mind. They did this to me and I'm holding it against them. You can still remember, well, I don't know, they did this to me and so I'm just not going to, I'm going to make sure I don't give them the opportunity to do it again. Do you see the difference? One is a grudge, one is a debt. The other one is not. But it doesn't mean that you continue allowing yourself to be in a place where you're going to let something happen to you over and over and over and over again. You see that You see that a lot of times in abusive marriages where a man and a woman, well, obviously, are married to one another, you know, and the guy comes home and he likes to just beat on his wife. Well, will I forgive him because the Bible tells me to be a dutiful and a submissive wife, so I'm just going to keep submitting to these beatings. No! No! My goodness, no! Well, what would you do in a situation like that? I wouldn't live under the same roof. I'm not talking about divorcing necessarily. That's a whole different teaching. But, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that requires a woman to, to remain under the roof of a man who uses his hands as, as hammers. Okay? There's nothing in the Bible that requires that a person remain in that kind of a situation. What it's going to do is going to cost you your life. It's people like that, they'll take it to they'll take it to such extremes. Jesus is talking about forgiving. He's not talking about enabling. He's talking about forgiving. And he's talking about praying for those who despitefully use us. He's talking about blessing those who curse us. Okay? So it's important to understand what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is simply wiping it off the ledger, not holding a grudge not holding it to their account, but it doesn't mean you're going to continue in the same bad situation if you are able to get out of it. And that's not the only example in the abusive marriages. And believe it or not, you would be amazed how many husbands are abused physically by their wives. It just doesn't get reported for obvious reasons. I mean, it's shameful enough you're going to take that to the cops so that your whole community can possibly find out my wife beats me. Uh, no, guys tend to just sort of keep that, keep themselves to themselves when that's going on. But I'm telling you, it's very, very common. Nevertheless, Jesus tells us, love our enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which, despiteful, which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. What's that mean? Good things happen to good people and to bad people. And bad things happen to good people and to bad people. It's called living in the world. It's called living on the earth. And it's just a fact of life. Good things happen, bad things happen, and they, they fall on everybody. Time and chance, Solomon said, happen to them all. 
Time and chance happened to them all. Verse 46, for if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same, the common people, people that sin openly? Don't sinners do the same thing? It's easy to love someone who loves you. Why? Because they love you. It's a reciprocal feeling a lot of times. Uh, uh, and by love, I mean that mutual beneficence towards one another. I'm not talking about, um, about uh, romantic love, so to speak. Uh, either eros, I think, is the Greek for that. Uh, that that um, romantic love between members of the opposite sex, <laughs> not meaning members of the, of the same sex, but I guess that's a thing now in the mainstream or so they're trying to get us to believe. But it's easy to love someone that loves you. He says, well, what reward do you have if you do that? If you love those that love you, well, that's kind of its own reward. You're not doing anything extraordinary. You're not going above and beyond. You're just doing what natural people do in that respect. But, and he says, if you salute your brethren only, what more do ye than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Some people take that to mean complete. Be ye complete, as your Father in heaven is complete. But I like the common meaning of that word, perfect. He says to be perfect. Be complete and be without flaw. So what should we be then? Above and beyond. Above and beyond. Don't just love people that love you. Love everybody. God does. God loves absolutely everyone. He even loves the one, he even he even loves that lady on your job that insulted your dress. Or told you that you had horrible hair. And I'm going to that for a reason. I keep using that as an example for a reason. I read an article recently um, when the, the Deriders, Reverend Sister Derider, were with us. We were traveling down to Albuquerque, and I was reading this article about um, a particular feminist who worked in the television, uh, worked in television producing, and she had this notion: I'm going to start up my own television station, my television production company, and it's going to be all women. And this is just going to be a feminist haven. This is going to be no men. Okay. All right. Well, the whole article was written by her about what an incredible disaster that the entire project turned out to be because all of the worst qualities of every single one of them came out. And every day in that office was just a bleeding, raging cat fight. And it was just a real horror. Okay, so I, I have that still tumbling around in my head, flying using that as an example. Now, I'm not saying not, not all women are like that. Some women, quite a few women, can be very nice and sweet. But when you put a bunch of cats in a bag, are you being sexist? No. I'm just telling you what she said. <laughs> God loves everyone. Likewise, we should love everyone. And that's one of the things that shows that we are children of our Father in heaven. When we do the opposite of what the carnal, natural man expects us to do in the face of provocation, okay? When we don't curse back, but rather we bless and we mean it. Not that passive, aggressive, nice, nasty, oh, well, bless you too. I'm not talking about that. I mean, you actually mean it. Lord bless you. I mean that. Bless you. Or you don't even say it to their face. You just say it. You say it to God in your prayer closet when you're you know or when you're alone with God and you're praying. God bless them. Help them. Help them. 
open up doors for them, bless their lives, bring them closer to you, or make something happen that, that turns their eyes towards you, that sort of thing. When we do the opposite of what is expected, when we don't retaliate, when we don't throw a punch back, when we don't hate in response to their hate, then it shows something's different. Something about us is different. We're not like everybody else that ever treated them horribly. I'm telling you, this sort of thing gets people's attention. It makes them pull up short. It makes them think, and it makes them regard your profession of Christianity as something that is not hypocritical. It shows there's really a reality that's in it. We'll pick it up. We'll pick it up next week at chapter six. I'll give you a quick sneak preview here. He says, "Take heed that you do not your alms before men." to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What reward is that? They've been seen of men. Okay, we'll talk more about that next week. But let's go ahead and dismiss now. Again, be at the will of the Lord. We'll pick it up at uh, chapter 6, verse 1 next week. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.